We look at this sun and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at the sun and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. He is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything, everyone. So spacious in he, so expansive, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and get fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. You yourselves are a case study of what he does. At one time, you all had your backs turned to God, thinking rebellious thoughts of him, giving him trouble every chance you got. But now, by giving himself completely at the cross, actually dying for you, Christ brought you over to God's side and put your lives together, whole and holy in his presence. You don't walk away from a gift like that. You stay grounded and steady in that bond of trust, constantly tuned into the message, careful not to be distracted or diverted. There is no other message, just this one. Every creature under heaven gets the same message. I, Paul, am a messenger of this message. Thanks, Josh. Um, about a week or two after Josh uh, arrived in Durham, I invited him to this workout group, and everyone gets a, a nickname at, at this group. And um, he received the name Matt Foley uh, for having been one that lives in a van down by the river. Um, Josh is a little young for that reference, so I think that was another instance of him using YouTube to uh, investigate and educate. So. This week I was uh, reading a chapter in a wonderful new book that a friend had given me called In Thought, Word, and Seed, Reckonings from a Midwest Farm. It looks something like that, and the actual farm is behind it. Uh, the author is Tiffany Eberly Kreiner. This is a collection of essays from a Christian who's also a literature professor who's also a resident of a beautiful farm, and she explores the intersections of um, vocation and location. Really beautiful, observant, poignant prose. I really enjoyed uh, a chapter um, called Grass, and it was just a series of letters that she wrote to, um, kind of as a journaling mechanism, to the late James Baldwin. And she wrote them from the hidden five, like this back inaccessible five acres of her farm. And she wrote them on Memorial Day 2020. And she voices to Baldwin, who, again, probably the most courageous, imaginative American writers in the 20th century, who never shied away from confronting American contradictions and uh, that he saw in, in who we are and who we say we are and who we have been and who we are being when it comes to things like race and socioeconomics and gender and religion and all these things. So she does this kind of imaginative journal entry, and it's not exactly like an exact dictation. 
Um, it's something more reflective. And she writes, describing the day that George Floyd was murdered, she says, I don't actually know anything about it yet. Um, I won't even hear about that event until tomorrow, but this is a dream letter. Sons and daughters will prophesy, old men will dream dreams, young men will see visions, and middle-aged isolated lit profs who are also farmers will write crazy apocalyptic dream letters to dead authors they love. So that's kind of what she's doing here. That sounded kind of cool, a crazy apocalyptic dream letter. It was really inspiring to me this week as I chewed on and walked around with our final installment of this year's season of creation. You see, the Apostle Paul also wrote letters. This was maybe like, I don't know, imagine with me, like Paul's first um, shot at like virtual church, trying to be with a community he couldn't physically be with in person. So he wrote one of these letters to the church in Colossae. Um, again, side note, pa uh, mnemonic for this. GE Power Company, does anyone use that? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, no? Now you know, that's the order for your sword drills. Um, and in the book of Colossians, that was so distracting, I'm so sorry. Um, he weaves a poem right in the beginning, right in kind of the, the he front loads the letter with a poem about Jesus who is not only present and active at the creation of the universe, but remains engaged in participating in its in, in our redemption. This is cosmic stuff. No wonder he, he included a poem. It's too big for prose. If I'm being honest, it, it feels too big for me. It's uh, above my pay grade to try to unpack I know there's a, a meme going around, um, wives asking their husbands how often they think about the Roman Empire. I got asked this question the other night, and I was like, all the time. I'm preaching a letter, I'm preaching a letter <laughs> to the Colossians. Like, if you study Paul, you're thinking about the Roman Empire constantly. And so Paul writes this subversive letter received amidst empire. Uh, there's a poem, this poem embedded, one commentator says, is a full frontal assault on the empire. And I think that's on the Roman Empire, but it's also on the American Empire. It's on any garden variety empire. And in this poem that Josh Cad read a um, kind of a paraphrase, that message paraphrase, there are all these echoes and allusions to these major scriptural motifs for Israel, things like image and firstborn and creation and reconciliation to try to grab hold of their imagination. They're all saying things like, if Jesus is Lord, then Caesar isn't. If Jesus is the creator, if Jesus is the redeemer, if Jesus is the, the forerunner, like the creator embedded in this creation, bringing about new creation, that means he's the beginning, the end, and in the middle. And that means this whole world is crowded and chock full of God's grandeur and deep with possibility and also our responsibility. So this letter works on Colossian imaginations. 
Walter Brueggemann says, the key pathology of our time, which seduces us all, is the reduction of imagination. He says, we're too numbed, satiated, and co-opted to do serious imaginative work. So I think Paul is trying to get them to do, trying to get us to do serious imaginative work in first century Asia Minor and 21st century Durham. So I set to ask wondering questions, to begin some of this imaginative work. I set to walking and reading and writing and praying a letter to this cosmic Jesus, the image of the invisible God who holds all things together, who, as the message says, leads the resurrection parade, the one who is the subject of this good news for all creation. I wrote a letter. Will you humor me and let me share this letter? Just that, that'll, be, that'll be the sermon today. Um, and this is, this is me walking around, and like, like, uh, like the previous author, um, it's not a one-to-one -one, uh, dictation. Uh, there are maybe some authorial liberties taken. Jesus, I'm looking around, and I don't know if I see it. I try to pray with my eyes open. I try to pray on my feet. I'm, I'm willing to be interrupted here by you or by the chirp of a familiar neighbor's car horn or a stranger's head nod or probably someone running this traffic circle here. Um, I appreciate this change of temperature. Uh, I feel very aware of my surroundings. My skin senses the liminality of this created time, a time between times, between the suffocating heat of the summer with all its green growth amidst the scorch of the midday and the early day and the late day. And also what's to come. The autumnal turn, pumpkin spice everything in leaves that die so beautifully. Hopkins wrote, they flame out like shook foil. Maple leaves becoming their most astonishingly beautiful approximately three days before they turn into compost. You said this might happen. Unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, unless a human loses their life. Usually the vibrancy of these leaves distracts scarlets and burgundies and ambers and auburns, fluorescently lurid, but these days it still just kind of feels like death and dying. I don't doubt your presence, Jesus. I don't doubt your creative power. Paul's assurance that uh, we should just open our eyes up for these traces of God through creation and through you, our elder brother, they make sense. Creation's first, um, creation as a witness to this first doesn't really bat my eye. In fact, it's, it's really inspiring. It often supersedes these morose thoughts and feelings. There's a certain confidence that you get, or at least that we're taught to hope for, when you feel like you sometimes have eyes and expectations to walk into this God-created world. It's, a, it's an incredible gift that the God who mostly escapes our sight and begs us to walk in faith gives us so much eye candy, so many created things to charm our senses. But these days, I'm not sure how all these pieces fit together. 
how they hold together. Paul's hymn makes some really awesome claims. It's a, it's a great song. Thrones, powers, rulers, and authorities really hits differently in a world with conveniently malfunctioning police body cameras and kangaroo court legal systems and a hostage-held government that grinds to a halt regularly just to make a point and laws that imagine um, God's imaging people as illegal. All that feels really off the rails. It feels that these things are not operating through you and by you. I want my money back for that song. Why don't they look like you? Why don't they feel like you? Why are these authorities wielding power so seemingly contrary to the authorial attempt? And when will it end? How can that end? There's an unraveling, a splintering, and it just seems to compound as I walk around this neighborhood. Things I see are sacraments to this creational brokenness, tangible signs of spiritual realities. We're promised that, they, that you existed before these things and that in you they hold together, but they feel fractured, like the spidered mirror on the side of the road languishing because sanitation workers are striking right now. How are all these things held together? How are these bodies held together that I'm walking past on these sidewalks? I'm more aware of this brokenness than usual. Heck, my own shoulder is healing slowly from a surgeon's probes and cuts. My own actions participating in my healing. I'm doing my PT exercises. I'm wearing the sling, not anymore. But I'm trusting in God's mending, and I'm also hurting, and I'm so exhausted. I didn't sleep in my bed for 40 days and 40 nights. It felt like exile. <laughs> exile from comfort and rest in the many conveniences that I take for granted. Opening jars and shifting gears and also luxuries like playing catch or doing yard work. I look around and I see all of these bodies breaking. Limping, slumped, coughing, dragging, going to or from the doctor or the gym or the pharmacy, laid up at the bus stop. Some of these bodies are hoping for strength and healing. Some just rest or relief. I think of specific bodies like Layla's or Sarah's or Gary's. But I also think of bodies that are suffering in secret. Bodies whose ailments are unknown or undiagnosed or happening inside their own psyche. How are these friends and neighbors held together? Christ Jesus, I look around and I wonder how our church, how our neighborhood, how our city, how our state, how our country can be held together. That was, that was the promise, right? Holding it together. Because there's so much disagreement and it's real, and it's manufactured opposition. I remember as a kid our, when our first family friends got divorced and there was that phrase um, levied about, irreconcilable differences. I wonder how you can promise 
healing and wholeness when so many have drawn sand lines about politics and race and sexuality and distinctly different visions of the good in the past and the future? How can we grow together and not apart? How can we tell the truth and be faithful and aligned with the goals of a flourishing creation while also responding to the realities and the needs and the hurts of a world that is ravaged by sin, slavery, and death. If you're leading us, how can we follow you in this new and strange space of, I don't know, reconcilable differences? To create something new and beautiful, a reimagining community, a transfiguration, a church that practices resurrection? Sometimes this feels like it could be a beautiful mosaic tiles and pieces of different shapes and sizes and colors all that fit in and you have to step back to see it. Sometimes it just feels like a picture that has fallen off the wall and shattered. Within a few hundred steps, Jesus, I'm, I pass a shopping center window door that is blown out by a robbery, a, a window pocked by a bullet hole and a rental sign with a number, when called, we'll ask for a three-month down payment for a unit that was previously occupied for more than two decades by someone on food stamps. I wonder just how any of these things can be held together, a world of displacement and gun violence and opportunism and widening wealth and opportunity gaps. How are the cascading traumas and fears held by people on or under the poverty line being made right what can interrupt this spiral? And then as I continue to walk Jesus, I, I look inward. Maybe you're having me look inward. I feel my own separation. I feel the ways my own desires are disjointed. How often I feel lonely, surrounded by others, and how I pull away from people that I probably need or who need something from me. I'm aware of the ways I'd often rather do things for you rather than just be with you. I'm starting to be aware also of how I substitute my voice or the voice of some pundit or scholar or sports broadcaster over the still small voice of the spirit. I say I want your voice, but we'll see. How can I be held together with these disparate parts of me Pascal once said the main struggle, and I think it's my main struggle, is to sit quietly in a room alone as if you're not with me. But somehow you're doing this, Jesus, and I'm learning that. It's a, it's a mystery. It doesn't make any sense apart from the fact that you were there. This is kind of like a Job realization. You were there. Please spare me the whirlwind in everything that came before and after. You were there for creation. God spoke and you were the word that came out of that divine mouth. You know how the whole thing works, every part. You know how it thrives. You are unsurprised by the breaks and the mutations and the malignancies. Jesus, I, I used to think that you got frustrated that you got frustrated with your people, with me, that you were like a frustrated person. You must be with all this stuff going on. That's probably projecting too much onto you from myself. 
That's how I feel when I don't know what I want and it doesn't happen or when I do but I don't express it very well for others to join in or when what I want is misaligned with what should be. But Jesus, you don't have these problems. You have all the time in the world and you know what you want. You know what needs to be. You have no problem sharing that with us. You're an open book. In a world where plenty of these things are hurting or broken or actively breaking, you are not surprised nor are you frustrated. I do think you're grieved. You wept with Mary and Martha. You weep with us. I do think you're angered sometimes, though I trust you way more with being angry than I trust myself. And I do think you're deeply moved with compassion. That word, churning guts of compassion. Like you were with the hungry and suffering crowd so often in the stories of your life and ministry. Somehow amidst a world that seems so unmoored and so torn apart, your healing is happening. Slowly, often like crawlingly, imperceptibly slow. And this is, quote, good news to all creation, and it involves all of it, but weirdly starts and continues through maybe the most dysfunctional part of your creation, the church. (laughs) Your servant, Eugene Peterson, says that we're a case study in all this held-togetherness. We're a case study in all this held-togetherness. How well we do it is how possible it is for the rest. Yeast in a lump or something like that. It's not pandemic anymore. No one bakes bread. Once we were alienated and now we're brought near. Once enemies uh, in our minds and hearts and bodies now made co-conspirators in this patient kingdom work. Now and always, one's being made holy in this place at this time with these people. Responsive and responsible. Rooted, digging, diving roots into trust that your love is stronger than gravity and will hold us despite storm and wind and erosion and changes in our own damaged climates. I don't know how this works, Jesus but I trust that it is a slow work. That you are in fact holding me together, holding us together, holding all creation together. You must be really strong to do that, but it's not a strength that jerks or crushes, but it is the assured embrace of a caring creator who goes before us and stands with us. Who meets us again and again in the face of the suffering stranger and feeds us with broken bread of your body and poured out wine of your blood so that we can be healed and fed and whole. I may not always understand it, but I can sometimes see glimpses of this world that you are holding together. I can sometimes hold it and touch it and taste it and walk around in it and feel it under my feet in this place. Signed, Chris Breslin. (laughs) Will you all pray with me?
Lord Jesus, open us up to your healing work. Grant us imaginations that are not stunted or muted or buffered, but wide open to um, what you have to say to us and how you are bringing us into this new world that you're making right in our midst. Jesus, you are the firstborn of all creation, the forerunner of this new creation. Whenever we get frustrated that we can't see God, we look to you. Lord, we thank you for this case study, this, this laboratory, this gymnasium in which we learn these things with you and with each other in this place. Grow us, make us strong, make us wise, make us tender, make us kind. Thanks for being with us. Pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.